Hey everyone, welcome to the Grabs Podcast, where we bring the stories of real life rescues to you firsthand from those involved. I'm your host today, Grant, and today with me I got Jeremy Herbert from Memphis Fire Department. He's a lieutenant there. Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Hey, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and career so far. All right, I started in uh, 1997, a small town in Mississippi. Um, moved to Memphis uh, in 2003. Been here since then, so I'm working on year number 18 here. Uh, I got promoted six years ago, I guess. Yeah, got promoted lieutenant six years ago. I've been assigned to a couple of the busy truck companies and uh, recently moved to special operations um, with rescue companies and special operations engine companies, kind of like a squad, but not necessarily the same concept, but very similar. Nice. So tell us a little bit about the makeup of Memphis Fire Department. All right. We're uh, 384 square miles, uh, very urban. Um, 57 fire stations. We operate 57 engine companies, 21 truck companies, three heavy rescues that operate out of snorkels, uh, 36 EMS units. We just call them units, you know, 11 battalion chiefs. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's traditional, you know, it's a, it's, it's a traditional fire department, you know, what you would think of like a big city, um, just, you know, we, we run a lot of fire. The city, citywide, we average about six a day. Uh, obviously, you don't get, uh, everybody does not go to all six fires that happen throughout the city today. So it just depends. You've got hot areas like most urban fire departments do. So what are you guys getting on a residential fire typically? <clears throat> um, all right. So the, the, uh, the way we describe our equipment or, or call our equipment is a little different. I think Kansas is the only one that calls it the same way we do. So our engines, we call them pumpers. So on a residential house fire, you get three pumpers, one ladder, which we just call a truck, one heavy rescue, two battalion chiefs, one division chief, and one EMS unit how you guys operate on a fire scene. Is that uh, incident specific? Is it BC driven? Do you have uh, pre-arrival assignments or how's Memphis do it? So we, we definitely have pre-arrival assignments and your assignment is based off of where you're sitting on said piece of equipment. So when you get to work in the morning, we operate with a minimum of four. Um, anything less than four, that company is, is what we call limited manpower or out of service. On oh, the limited manpower um, status, you are only able to respond to um, first responder or medical calls, no fire calls at all. So with your assignment of four on an engine company, uh, you have your officer and your driver up front, obviously. The person riding behind the officer, we call the nozzle man. The person riding behind the driver is the hookup man. That'll be the same on all three pumpers that go, but once they get to the scene, it depends on how you arrive at the scene in, in what order, and that, that will determine what you're going to do when you get there. So that first in engine, uh, we never lay in, always go straight to the house. Uh, we use tank water. Um, I'm going to say 99% of the time, it's always tank water with us. We, we do not lay in. Our, we've got an excellent water system here. Plugs are 500 feet apart. Most of them are giving us 100 pounds, so we're, we're good on that. 
our second engine company lays from the plug or from the uh, company to the plug. Uh, it's backwards in Memphis. I know most people call that a reverse lay. We call that a forward lay. Um, so that second in company is where your search comes from. So you're, you're two, what would be your officer and the nozzle man, they're going to be your search. Uh, first two people doing the search with the first in engine company that would be attack the hookup man and the driver on that second piece of equipment are going to go to the plug. If the driver doesn't need the hookup man, he backs up the other two and they take off and do the primary search. Uh, we don't really orient on a right-hand search or a left-hand search. We base everything off of a 360. What's the building look like? Where's your most survival space? Where can I do the most good? Um, like most people, we know that we want to start our search as close to the fire and work our way back. Sometimes you can't do that. Most of the time you can. And that's, in my experience, where you do the most good. Uh, your first arriving truck company, we do a split. Uh, you have your driver and your officer up front. Inside man rides behind the officer. Outside man rides behind the driver. The um, driver and the outside man always go to the roof to vent. Uh, we have a standard operating procedure that you always plan to vent. We'll stop you if we don't want it done. Um, and then the inside man and the lieutenant, they go inside, they assist with the primary search, open up ceilings, check the fire extension, you know, getting that attic opened up for the uh, engine companies. Um, you know, we, we still, we do open the ceiling, but we still put people in the attic and, and the way we operate, it's a, it's a fight. Who's going to get to get up there. Everybody wants it. Um, you know, we, I don't like to use the, the word we're aggressive and we go interior. I think that's just silly. I, I think that that, that should be everybody's mindset to be aggressive and to go inside. I don't think there needs to be some catchphrase on it. You're doing what you're what you're here for. Um, you're not going to save people in the yard. It's just not going to happen. Uh, you're going to have to get in there and get it done. So, you know, initially our our first alarm assignment is going to get you three pumpers, one truck, one rescue company. And that rescue company is kind of going to just uh, your manpower thing more than anything. Um, where you need it, and you're going to jump in as needed. That third engine company by SOP is writ. Um, sometimes the incident commander wants to make the rescue company rip. Uh, some of them realize that there's a better job force elsewhere. So they'll let us jump in and do other things. Um, most of the time that involves helping out the truck. Uh, but you know, it's kind of, we, the rescue company here kind of operates like a squad company, uh, from my understanding, a squad company, uh, for FDNY, you, you arrive on scene and you're geared and equipped to do any of the jobs. You, I can, I can be the pumper, I can be the truck, I can be what you need me to be. Put me in and, and tell me what you want me to do and we'll make it happen. Well, free safety, and, if you will. That's nice. Right, yeah, that's pretty it. much. That's what it is. Very cool. So talk to us a little bit about your search culture uh, within Memphis. Um, if you're the officer and you guys are assigned search, how are you doing? How are you getting that done? You'd already kind of mentioned it's going to be 360 oriented uh, and finding that survivable space and searching from the fire out. But are you doing a right. split search? Are you doing a, a oriented? Are you taking one guy? Are you taking more than one guy? Or just talk us through that. All right. So your first company that starts the search is going to be the second in engine. So that one is only going to have two. Generally, the way I do it, 
me and that nozzle man that's gonna be searching with me, we'll start in, we'll get as close to the fire as we can, but we're searching the whole way to it clearly. Once we get to that first room, most of the time I leave somebody at the door and I'll make my loop through the room. And when I get to the door, he leaps frog to the leapfrogs to the next one, does the same thing while I'm waiting at the door for him. That way I've got an idea what's going on, or he has an idea of what's going on. It's just easier to get that room, especially just a bedroom. I mean, most houses here in Memphis, you know, it, a, a 10 by 10 or 12 by 12 is about the biggest bedroom size you're going to deal with normally. So one guy uh, that's worth his salt can get that bedroom checked quick. Uh, and we leave the guy at the door. That way you've got someone you're in contact with that can get you back to the door if something goes south. Very nice. All right, why don't you take us back to uh, April 21st, just a few days ago, and talk to us about that call you had. <clears throat> okay, um, so I was riding, uh, I'm temporary assigned to the rescue company right now. Um, we get a report for a house fire. Uh, it's around three o'clock in the morning. Um, but I have it, I always, we have what we call an MDT. It's a mobile data terminal. It's, uh, I'm sure everybody uses one, it's just a laptop. And that gives us all our call information after we receive it. Um, the uh, the alert system in the fire station that we call the vocal. I checked that. It had been updated several times. And in here we have learned to recognize that when you see what all companies are on the, the run, generally if it's more than just the, the three pumpers in a truck, if she's already added or he or she has already added another battalion chief or the unit, then it, she's getting more reports that there's something working other than this is just, there might be a house on fire. Um, in addition to that, in the notes, it'll say your incident's been updated or second call, duplicate call. So this run, before we ever left the house, had uh, duplicate call, I think, five times. So that, okay, we know it's on fire. So we, we've got maybe a four-minute response time from where we are. Uh, there is an engine company that's closer. They got on the run. He got on the scene and reported uh, single story frame, well involved, uh, went ahead and took command, immediately called uh, for a, an extra pumper and an extra truck, advised he was using a deck gun and a pre-connect. We pulled up right about that time. He came from the Alpha side, we came from the Charlie side. Um, we turned on the street that it was on, we were still a block away, but the Charlie side, was it was rocking pretty good. Um, we pulled over into directly in front of the house, but we, uh, it's on the corner. So we pulled onto the, the alpha side, uh, alpha delta to get out of the way of the pumpers coming in and laying out. We noticed that the exposure was already smoking. So my plan was we were going to go grab a line from thirties and go towards the exposure. Uh, I grabbed the irons. And as I started across the yard, I heard somebody scream and help me. And I stopped, you know, it's three o'clock in the morning. You can't see anything. So I stopped and it's like, where in the hell did that come from? And then I heard it again. And then when I was paying attention to what was going on, I saw the guy, he had broken out the lower pane of a window on the alpha division, had his face out the, the window pane and was screaming, help me. So I advised the command that we had a rescue in the alpha division or victims in the alpha division. I told him I was coming. I ran to the door and was fixing to force the door. I thought about it for a split second. I said, I can get this door open quick, but then I'm going to have to find it. The window, I know where he is right now. This is the way we're going. So I told him to back up just a little bit. I took the rest of that lower pane out. 
We snatched him out the window, handed him over to the unit that was already standing there waiting. Uh, he, he got a couple of stitches, um, you know, without giving up too much in violation of the HIPAA stuff. He got some stitches from breaking the window, but that's about it. And uh, after that, we, we went got the uh, front door forced. We tried to make a push in there, but it was eating our lunch with, with a single line. Uh, after the fact, we found out that he had a garage in the backyard that he ran like an automotive shop in. It started there and spread into his attic and uh, inevitably the whole house, but it was eating up everything we were doing. Um, I had a couple of bystander pictures that showed what it looked like when we, right after we got the guy out. And then within five minutes, there was another one that was, uh, that whole front room was lit up. So that, you know, he had a, he got a limited amount of time. And, you know, it was, uh, I've said this before, this isn't hero shit. This was just, right place, right time, and understanding that you you said you were going to do something, you're getting paid to do it, I expect you to do it. You know, I tell my guys all the time, I do not expect perfection. I do expect effort. You give me the effort, I'll give you the tools, we'll make it happen. And that's what we did. Uh, it's been crazy here lately. Uh, January 31st, we made an apartment fire that we ended up grabbing four. Uh, three children, one adult. We got the adult first uh, unfortunately all of them ended up dying the adult male which was the father died a month later um, but for grabs are not uncommon for us but for this single company that we're on right now to have five in the last three months it's ridiculous to me uh, it, I, I've said this before there's something going on that every time I'm turning around I'm seeing it on the websites or I'm hearing about it on the news uh, even just here that there's more and more grabs. It seems like they're having happening more frequently. And I don't know if it's because there's more people home or they're just, you know, just uh, lack of, of paying attention to what you're doing or, or what, I don't know what the deal is. Um, part of the deal that played in with this guy was the first thing company went straight to the fire and started what they were going to attempt to do was cut it off from spreading towards the rest of the house, which is fun. Uh, there was a door on that Bravo side that they were attempting to, to push in, and that was going to put them closest to the fire to cut off to keep it from advancing. And, and I support that 100%. Um, the, the problem that we run into is the guy that was trapped wasn't the guy that made the call to 911 for a house on fire. He didn't even know his house was on fire. When, when we got him out the window and got into the unit, you know, we realized he was fine. He said, what the hell's going on? Bro, your house is on fire. He, he didn't have a clue. So you can't rely on reports of people trapped. You need to listen to reports of people trapped 100%, but that can't be your only way. You, you have to make the search. It, it, there's no if, ands, or buts about it. Primary search saves lives. That's all there is to it. You got to do it. Nice. Jeremy, I love uh, that you were paying attention I think so many people, especially you're walking up to the building, you're in fight or flight mode, you're, you're ready to go. And guys are looking down, they're masking up, they're not paying attention to the building and, and what's going on around them. And we know through uh, studies that once your heart rate hits 160, you have auditory exclusion. So you might not be hearing that. So it's right. move with a purpose, uh, but don't, don't redline yourself. And that, the fact that you just heard this guy yelling, um, awesome. If you would have missed that, he probably didn't have a whole lot of time. No, I'm going to say when 
I know for sure I didn't have my gloves on yet when we started uh, getting him out the window. Uh, when I reached in to grab his waist of his pants, it was hot. I mean, it wasn't burning me, but you could tell it was getting close. He didn't have much time. So, yeah, it was uh, it was a right place, right time kind of deal. Um, you know, obviously we were ecstatic that, that it happened. We were very happy that nothing was wrong with him other than some stitches. So, you know. It, it worked out as good as could be. So talk us the whole rescue. What would you say time-wise? <clears throat> Probably took uh, you longer it, to explain it than it did to actually oh, happen. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it, it, it was, it happened. It was over before we realized what had actually happened. So seeing time to, to me seeing him was under 30 seconds. And then the, the most, what took us the most time of getting him out. And even then it was under a minute, I think, but clearing that bottom pane and then trying to get the glass out of the way. So we didn't drag him through glass. Uh, I think total uh, extrication for him is under two minutes. Nice. I love that you uh, started to go to the front door and then uh, kind of ran an audible with that. Hey, I know where he's at. This is, you know, bird one in the hands worth, worth two in the bush. Uh, right. And, that that that's got to be something that everybody starts to think about. You know, everybody thinks get that front door forced. I got to get inside and get him. It's like you're not wrong, but you have to be able to adapt. At the same time, the way this house was built, looking back at it now, when where the door was on the front porch when I forced, that would have put me into the living room where he was. What's in the living room though? Uh, you know, is there a ton of furniture? Is that door barricaded from the inside? We see that a lot here. You know, a lot of a lot of houses here put couches and and whatnot in front of the doors. So that 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 door force is going to take more time. That's not to say don't try it. And then if you realize it's going to take you time to bail on it, but if you see the person hanging out the window, they're already there, and the window's halfway out. Use it. How tall was that window? Uh, it was a lower window, so I'm going to say you know, two feet off the ground probably. So he had enough power that it was an assist to help him out. Uh, were you starting yeah. – oh, go ahead. Yeah, it kind of was. I mean, he – we were kind of confused why he didn't continue to break the window out. And I don't know if it was because we got there right as he was breaking it or if it was, you know, after he cut himself, he didn't want to injure himself further. I, I, I was kind of confused by that. Uh, at the same time, you know – from the outside looking in, why didn't you grab something to break the window, bro? But, you know, I, I wasn't in there taking in that smoke, so I don't know what he was thinking, and I'm not going to ask him either. You know, I, he was trying to do something. He got my attention. We broke the window out, you know, and, and we did – it was it was more of an assist. We did have to pick him up over the, the uh, seal, the window seal. Um, but – Outside of that, he tried to walk, but we just carried him, you know, just because he was cut. It's yeah. like easier. To, we already got you, so just stay. And I wasn't meaning that in a uh, to to minimize this. But, no, 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 not at all. No. But as a thinking officer, and we can tell obviously by your comments that you are, um, what was your plan had he succumbed to the smoke? You knew the room. You started to break, break the glass. Were you guys assisting with your mask off? Uh, where you started yeah. a pre-planned, like, hey, dude, you start getting your mask on because if he goes out, I want you to go in and hand them to me. What was your mindset like? I'm sure if you didn't do it, you were already at least thinking of what are we going to do. Right. 
so we we always you know clearly we come off with our well, our air pack what we call a back plate we come off the equipment with that on but we mask up at the door um so that was my where i was headed obviously but when i saw him everything changed so myself and my inside man we were breaking the window neither one of us had our mask on we're i feel like we're pretty good and can mask and and you know 20 seconds or so and it's when you know it's just a mask and a hood um <clears throat> but yeah that's we would have definitely had to make a change if if we had to if he had gone unconscious and we had to go get him uh he was a bigger guy i'm gonna say you know neighborhood of 250 um still manageable for sure but it would have been a circumstance where i would have told uh the other two guys on the rescue truck to start forcing that door and we're going to work on this window and if you can grab him from there, we're going to do that. If not, then we're going to jump in and hand him out. Very good. Do you want to, uh, so you talked a little bit that you had that uh, multiple grab um, earlier in the year. Do uh, you want to talk about that just a little bit, the circumstances of that and how that went down? <clears throat> yeah, I will. Um, I, I don't want to take anything away from it. That, that one's a little hard for me, you know, obviously because of the deaths. Uh, I had some stuff going on at home. I lost my mom uh, the first of that month, first of January, and then my grandmother a couple of days later. So dealing with some more death, actually, you know, or, or not, I won't say actually, it definitely sucked. I didn't need those four on me at the time, but you know what? I got it. And I did the best I could with it. Uh, it's kind of the same deal. We were running to uh, reports of an apartment fire. Um, people trapped was uh, uh, updated several times on the way. When we got on the scene, we were the first pumper on the scene. Um, had a little bit of smoke. I mean, light smoke, nothing much. But I noticed that the windows were blacked out. So my disposition was a two-story frame apartment, uh, light smoke. Um, I got inside, and it's an uh, enclosed stairwell, like a hallway, so to speak. Um, and there was a there was smoke inside there. I could see a little bit of fire around the door frame. And there was a guy on the back side of that breezeway that was I remember looking at him, he had his phone out and he was screaming something. I didn't know what he was saying. So I told him to get back. Uh, I turned around to the other lieutenant that was right behind me. He was the rescue truck lieutenant that day. I told him we're going into this door, put my mask on, forced the door, noticed that the kitchen was on fire. Uh, I looked back at him, I was like, kitchen's on fire, we're gonna stick with this. We went through the kitchen, uh, I ran into a wall, straight ahead, I took a right, and then took a right again, that put me in the hallway. And I went down the hallway and started on my way back, and one of the guys, the private on the rescue truck, uh, the same one that was with me when we made that grab the other night, said, uh, I felt him, or he hit something about the same time I felt something, he said, I got him, and I grabbed something. It's like, I got him. He said, well, I got him. I was like, well, then let's go. We both picked him up and carried him back out the, the way we came in. By then, they had already knocked out the kitchen. Um, we got him out to the unit, uh, same deal, waiting in the front yard. Um, by that time, there were three other pumpers there that it, that it, and a truck that had started backing us up with the search because of multiple reports of people trapped. As soon as we came out with our victim and handed him off, one of the guys that was riding on the engine with me came out with a baby. Um, within a few minutes from that, 
the driver of the rescue truck came out with another child. And then I don't know, a minute later, um, one of the guys on the truck company came out with another child. Uh, we did CPR on the, all the children. The adult male was the first one we brought out. Uh, the unit took him pretty quickly. And uh, we were waiting on another unit to get there while we were doing CPR on all the children. Um, their ages were four months to six years, I think it was. Uh, like I said, they, the four-month-old, they kept alive for three days. The, the other two died that day. Uh, and then the adult male died a month later, I think it was. He ended up having some kind of heart condition, if I'm not mistaken. I don't, I don't know exactly what the deal was, but I think I remember hearing it was a heart condition, something like that. Now, all the victims came from the same apartment? <clears throat> yeah. Where were they, um, after talking with the guys, you know what their proximity was to each other? So the adult male was laying in that hallway, kind of uh, kitchen, living room area. Like as you start down the hallway, the four-month-old was the second one located. Um, that child was on the couch in the living room. And I think the other two were in the back bedroom. What? Um, no, you got the adult male. So yeah. how was he oriented? Was he like face down on his back? Face up, if I remember correctly. Uh, you couldn't see him. Um, I'm pretty sure he was face up because I, when we pulled him out, I had his arms, and I'm pretty sure he was, he was face up when we brought him out for sure. And I'm almost certain that's the way we grabbed him. Uh, he had burns on his chest. He wasn't wearing a shirt. He had burns on his chest, his arms, and his face. Um, so you guys just uh, extremity grabbed, pulled him yeah. out. Um, was he slippery at all with the burns? Oh, yeah. How do you like navigate that? I mean, just you, the best you can, you know, you just keep trying to get a different grip on him. And at the same time, you're trying not to pull skin. You know, it, there, there really isn't a way to do it. I mean, without having something you can throw him on or get under his torso, there, there's just not a good way. Uh, the guy that had his legs was okay with it because he was able to get under his knees and you know, lock, kind of locked him in. But, you know, holding on his arms, it's just, yeah, he's, he was slippery for sure. Um, sounds like you guys got to them all pretty quick. What was the, do you have any idea what time factor there? So that the adult male was the only one that I had hands on. So that one, I'm going to say from scene time, you know, I got in the hallway, forced the door. I'm going to say three minutes or less tops. And you know, and that that's that's moving, but you know, we we were we were a long way from from that run. Um, I think we're fourth due, and ended up being first. So it was uh, it was a lot lot closer or a lot further than it should have been. But you know, out of your hands. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely appreciate you sharing the story. Um, you know, sometimes we do the best we can and, and no matter how efficient we are, uh, how well trained we are, uh, God's got a different plan for us. Uh, That's the honest truth right there, buddy. You can't save them all. All you can do is try. And, uh, I think the whole search movement that everybody's pushing across the country and the reason we're doing the grab grabs podcast and firefighter rescue survey is just so that guys can do the front end training. Um, so I don't know about you, but all the calls that I, the, the hardest calls that I've run, I felt like I wasn't prepared for on the front end. 
and uh, yep. if we can prepare ourselves on on the front end for what we're going to go into um, uh, searching for victims, you know, we we at least take that out of the equation, and we can right. let circumstances dictate everything else. But uh, right, you know, and that's that's the that's a big deal. Is it, you know, you've probably said it. I've said it numerous times. I know guys have read it. You've got to expect victims every time. You have to expect it. That they're not always the one making the call to tell you that they're trapped. So you have to expect victims. You have to initiate that primary search. Absolutely. Well, Jeremy, I appreciate you sharing the story. Um, if you make a grab or assist, alive or deceased, please go to www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com. Take that short survey. That information is for us, by us, updated real time. Um, the guys at Firefighter Rescue Survey are doing awesome uh, stuff. They're, they're updating the website, uh, working on an app uh, to make it easier for us to, to share at the kitchen table or when we're out training. If you want to share your grab story on our podcast, reach out to me, Grant Schwalbe, Justin McWilliams, or Nick Ledeen. Until next time, thanks for listening.